Hello and welcome to First to 15, the official podcast of USA Fencing. I'm your host, Brian Wendell, and in this show, you're going to hear from some of the most inspiring, interesting, and insanely talented people in this sport we all love. First to 15 is for anyone in the fencing community, and even for those just checking out fencing to see what it's all about. So whether you're an Olympian or Paralympian, a newcomer, a seasoned veteran, a fencing parent, a fan, or anyone else in this wonderful community, this podcast is for you. With that, let's get to today's episode. Enjoy! Today's guest is Aaron Luo, a Vet 40 Men's Epe Fencer and member of Fencers Club in New York City. He's also a proud father and coach of two fencing sons, nine-year-old Alexander and six-year-old Sebastian. And when Aaron isn't fencing or cheering on his boys, he's the CEO of two companies, including Kara, which is a sport bag and accessory company, and Mercado Famous, or gourmet food company. We are so excited to chat with Aaron about how he keeps in fencing shape, his return from a 10-year hiatus in fencing, and how he manages that busy schedule. So welcome to the podcast, Aaron Lua. Thank you. Thank you, Brian, for having me. Very excited to be here and chatting everything, fencing, life, and all of it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to cover. So I want to start with how you got involved in fencing. I know from reading about you that you were a high school fencer and you competed in college at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. So what was that journey into fencing like for you? Yeah, I mean, so I grew up in Spain. I'm Chinese in terms of ethnicity, but I grew up in Spain. And last year of high school, had a chance to expose to the sport of fencing and loved it. Didn't really quite a bit compete while I was in Spain, but just kind of fell in love with the sport in terms of not just the athletic side of things, but also just the mental side of things, which to me was quite interesting. When I started mm-hmm. school in the States, you know, lucky for us, we had a team that I was able to join. I mean, ever since, you know, got kind of hooked to the overall sport. And that was kind of the beginning of the journey. That's great. So Spain, now that you've seen your own sons go through fencing here in the U.S., are there any differences that you notice from fencing in Spain and Europe versus fencing here in the United States? Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, you know, of course, neither of the countries, you know, when you compare in terms of the popularity of the sport, it's that popular, right? Unfortunately, and hopefully we're going to change all that. When I was in Spain, of course, the soccer, basketball, football, you know, those are some of the more popular sports. So there were very few limited clubs that you were able to go to. And I think that's actually a little bit better in the States. I feel like, you know, given the size of the country and the different clubs that I was exposed to, I feel like, you know, fencers here actually have a lot better opportunity to have access to the different clubs in the university. So from that perspective, I feel that, you know, in the States, especially growing, you know, kind of raising two boys in the States, they actually have a much better chance to get access to the different facilities and also chance to fence different fencers. So I'm pretty grateful that we are actually in the States and be able to actually practice the sport here. Yeah, there's a lot of clubs across the country, you're right. And especially in, in New York, where you are, there's some some pockets of the US where we still are, you know, looking for more clubs to crop up. But that's really great. So after college, you took a break from fencing and launched your career. You know, you've started two successful companies, like we talked about in the intro. What was that decision like? Because I can't imagine it's ever easy to press pause on a sport that you love. Yeah, that was tough. That was tough. And to be honest with you, I was naive enough to really kind of try to continue the sports, especially in the early days of my career. And I failed, Mm -hmm. I think, miserably. But, you know, kind of just unpack a little bit of my path, you know, after college. 
before yeah, starting my own businesses, I was fortunate enough to work with, you know, a Fortune 500 company in the States, you know, General Electric, and really had the chance to travel quite a bit with the company. I think for the 10 years that I spent with the company, I traveled more than, you know, 30 different countries, lived in over 12, and just learned a ton. And, you know, early phases of that journey, I was naive enough to bring all my fancy equipment with me. I remember you know, <laughs> one of my first countries I lived was in Hungary, and I'm like, great, but I'm going to be in Budapest. I'm going to live there. I'm going to go to all this club and so on and so forth. The reality is that, you know, unfortunately for the early stages of my career, I was so focused on work and building a career. It just, there wasn't any time. So for me, you know, I'm the kind of guy that likes to go all in or nothing. I said, you know, instead of going halfway in the sport and halfway work, you know, I kind of made a tough decision and say, you know what, I'm going to pause the sport for now, really focus on building the career, you know, making kind of build myself up in terms of making sure that I can truthfully afford to fans later in, in my sure, life sure. and kind of go from there. On the hindsight, I think that was the right decision. Mm-hmm. I would love to actually find balance if I could have in terms of juggling the two things at the same time. But the reality is that I think to really be successful at your career, especially in the early stages, I think it's kind of tough. So you said pause. You said that you were actually thinking of it as a pause at the time. And there's a lot of sports where you can't do that, right? You give it up and that's it. Maybe you're playing recreationally, but you're still competing at a high level now. So did you know at the time that you'd be back? 100%. 100%. And I say pause because I was still keeping up with cardio, right? So cardio, Mm -hmm. conditioning, stretching, agility training, those are things that you could do without really going to a fencing club, right? So any sports club that you are in anywhere that really has a mat that you can have access to you know i think those are the things that you will need to actually keep up with your personal conditioning and i try as much as i can during the 10 years that you know i took kind of that pause from the sport the only thing i didn't really do was bowing taking lessons and, and so on and so forth but in terms of keeping myself up uh, in terms of physicality wise on the conditioner side i kept it up as best as i could knowing that you know once I hit mid-30s, I knew that, you know, once I start traveling those crazy schedules of places I was going to, and once I had a little bit more stability, I knew I was going to come back to the sport. Yeah, that's great. And there's a great article about you in the Wall Street Journal that we'll link in the show notes of this episode. But in it, you talked about your return to fencing after about a, a decade pause. And one of the reasons was as an outlet for stress. And you talk about your career and you know how many great places you got to travel to and great experiences and all the success you've had. To some people, that also would sound like a pretty stressful experience. So what part did your return to fencing what part did trying to mitigate that stress play in your return to fencing? Yeah, I mean, you know, I joke around with my friends. I feel like, especially in my 30s, once my career really started peaking as far as, you know, kind of owning two companies, having investments and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. that to a certain extent, fencing saved my life in a sense mm-hmm. that I really brought some sanity into my day, right? I mean, if I break down my day just really quickly, right? I started the morning and this was before really kind of coming back to fencing full time. You know, you know, I wake up early, early during the day to talk to either Asia or talk to Europe just because of time differences. By the time that's mm-hmm. done, you know, rushing, get out of the door. You're balancing all this with the kids. It's very stressful. I mean, you can imagine, and I think, you know, many of the listeners probably can relate to it, you know, especially if you're in the 30s and 40s in terms of having to balance, you know, just between work and family and so on and so forth, right? 
And that led to really bad habits. You know, that led to very little sleep, very little exercise or exercise really without a schedule, eating whatever you can grab on the go. And I knew that I needed to bring some sanity back into my routine. Right. So that's honestly one of the reasons why I started to coming back to the sport and start exploring a little bit more as far as like, how can I incorporate fencing back into my career? Which honestly, it's hard in the beginning, right? Because you're so busy and your entire day is really built around family and work that how do you fit in that three hours or two and a half hours of fencing every single day, whether it's fencing or whether it's the cardio conditioning, what do you do in the gym? But little by little, I was able to actually incorporate that and successfully incorporate it into the schedule. You know, I always kind of joke around and say it's saving my life in the sense that when I go to my club or when I'm working out, it's kind of going to church. You know, it's like going to that safe place where I'm not thinking about work. I'm not thinking about family to a certain extent. All I think about is how to improve my skills to beat my opponent mm-hmm. and to be in that level of concentration and to be able to have that moment of focus. It gives such a mental relief and physical relief that, I mean, honestly, now I can't go any week without having that kind of rigor and schedule. So, you know, it's a very well invested time during my day, you know, despite of my busy schedule. But like I said, to a certain extent, I think without it, my mental and physical state would not be balanced. And the article really gives a nice picture of what that balance looks like through the course of your week. So can you walk us through maybe a a typical week, if there is any such thing, as it pertains to how you're balancing everything and what the training looks like? I was especially interested to see that it's not, your fencing training isn't all bouting. There's a lot of, you could call it cross training in there as well. So what does that week look like for you? Yeah, and changes a little bit, right? And you probably can appreciate this. I mean, depending if there's a knack coming and that you're training for the knack or, you know, training for a specific tournament versus if you're just kind of, you know, hitting a lot of regional tournaments and try to improve or work on certain things that you're trying to work on. But, you know, I think, mm-hmm. look, I'm in my 40s, right? I think I always say this, my number one enemy, it's not just the skills and the footwork and the distance and the tempo. My number one enemy these days is actually not getting injured. Right. Because once mm. I start getting injured or certain parts is not ro- working right, my fencing is going to suffer. So, you know, sure. the reason I incorporate a lot of strength training or agility training or stretching or cross training for that matter is not just to improve my own personal condition is to prevent against injuries. So, but just kind of to answer your question, just to lay out a little bit of my week looks like yeah, Tuesdays please. and Thursdays, it's club bowling time. That's my time to take what my coach has taught me all week or things that we're working on and put it into practice a little bit, right? Fortunately enough for me, Fencers Club, it's one of those establishments where a lot of great fencers are either in it or we have a lot of great fencers that come to visit us from time to time that I get a chance to actually practice with outside of, you know, tournaments and and knacks. So, you know, again, that Tuesday and Thursday, that's my time to really kind of work on those things that I'm trying to improve. Monday and Fridays usually are conditioning days. So I go to mm-hmm. you know another different gym where I do a lot of cardio, a lot of strength training. You know, it's interesting. You know, a few months ago, I was fortunate enough to meet a bunch of different football players from Miami Dolphins. And I was just kind of sharing notes with them as far as like what their training routine looks like versus you know, like a fencer. And one of the mm-hmm. things I was very interested in is that they actually told me that they do a lot of heavy lifting for a number of different reasons. And I kind of said, like, you know, what's the rationale behind 
heavy, heavy lifting. I'm talking about just heavy squats, front squat, back squats. And, you know, a lot of them actually said it's not just for strength, but it's actually preventing injuries, which I thought was kind mm. of interesting. So, you know, more and more doing the Monday and Wednesday strength and conditioning practices or, or sessions I have, I actually start lifting a lot heavier, which in the past, I only tried to lift heavy in the beginning of the season. During the season, I tried mm -hmm. to keep the light just, you know, that the weight light just to make for maintenance purposes. Now I'm actually, sure. you know, pushing and actually adding a lot more weight even during the season, which actually it's proving to be quite helpful, you know, with my strength and also with my agility during, during the bouts. And then, you know, Wednesday it's full work class at Francis Club with my coach Alexi. So Wednesday it's, you know, most of it dedicated to full work and some drills. And then Saturday and Sundays for my kids. You know, it's Saturday. I take my kids to my local club in New Jersey where, mm -hmm. you know, I do a little bit of footwork, but really spend the time to kind of coach them on a number of different areas. And then Sunday, like I said, it's a little bit of a resting day for me. And then I try to spend as much of the time I can on Sundays coaching the kid in terms of their practice. So it's a pretty packed week. Yeah, seriously. You know, it's tiring, but to a certain extent, I think I'm at the point where it's more or less a routine where... Like I said before, if I don't get it, my body craves it. And mentally, I mm -hmm. kind of escape in order to keep sane. You know, so it's hectic, but it's good. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they first start in a sport, they don't realize how much time is spent not using the equipment in that sport. In other words, you know, basketball players spending time in the gym, not holding a ball, a fencer without a blade in sight, right? And there's a great picture of you in that journal article where you're, you know, holding a kettlebell up high and there's no fencing equipment in that entire photo. So how important is that part of your training, the part that doesn't involve those Tuesdays and Thursdays bouting? And can you actually notice a difference when you do get back on the strip of the gains you've made in the weight room? Oh, 100%. I mean, I really think that, you know, any fencer who is not, you know, kind of lifting and of course, you know, the weights and the specific routine, it really is up to the individual in terms of what they want to do. But I think if you sure. are seriously competing, I think it's crazy not to incorporate a lot of the kind of the cross training or weightlifting and strength training as part of your routine. I know this tremendous improvement in my routine, you know, ever since I started you know, really kind of cranking up the heat in terms of the strength training with weights or with kettlebells. I love kettlebells mm -hmm. just because the way you have to actually activate certain muscles within your body because the weight distribution is a little different. But I try mm -hmm. to, you know, combine that together with free weights. But yeah, I mean, you know, simple lunges or advanced lunges, right? The explosivity that comes with it. I mean, you know, I know there's a huge difference once I start doing heavy squats or heavy front back squats that helps me with my routine. So again, you know, the specifics of it, you know, I discussed that, you know, very closely with my personal trainer and kind of cater that and tweak it a little bit to what's right for me or what works for me. And I think each fencer should do the same thing. But yeah, I mean, you know, I try to learn a ton from other sports uh, as much as I can, mm. whether it's football, basketball, you know, any other major sports. And you see them that, you know, strength and conditioning is very much part of their routine whether it's before, after, or during season, you know? Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I want to switch gears to something you brought up earlier, you know, weekends are, are for your kids and you have two sons, both in fencing. Was it ever a question that they would get involved in fencing given your background? What got them into the sport in the first place? And really what's it been like as a dad watching their development in the sport? 
Yeah, no, look, I think this is probably one of the most rewarding things for me in terms of be able to coach my kids and see them compete. Whether they win or not, to be honest with you, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, it's secondary. You know, of course, everybody sure. wants to win and, and do well. But at their mm-hmm. age, six and nine, you know, right now, I want them to build love for the sport. Mm-hmm. To answer your first question, there was no doubt in my mind they are going to do the sport. Particularly, <laughs> I was praying that they will love the sport as much as they do now. And it's interesting. They did it in the beginning. You know, beginning was a little bit of a drag. It's like, oh, you know, I got to go train. Why do I have to do the, the, the private lesson? I think, you know, for my oldest, at least, I think the light bulb went off when he started winning. Mm-hmm. Right, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. When he started winning bouts or winning some tournaments, it was like, ah, you know, that's why I spend the time in my gym. That's why we practice at home. That's why we do the personal lessons and so on and so forth. So it was a little bit of a journey getting to that point. But I think once they got there, you know, they started understanding, you know, all the training and the hard work they're putting into it, you know, in terms of how it pays out later on. To me, it's extremely rewarding, you know, to a point where, I'm actually enjoying a lot more now watching my kids and coaching my kids and seeing them do well versus me, you know, winning any medal of swords or, you know, ranking, you know, high or, or coming top eight in any tournaments. You know, what I'm actually trying to teach my kids more and more besides obviously the physicality of things and the physical exercising and the different play work and distance and footwork and so on and so forth. It's the mental aspect of it. I think, you know, hmm. fencing, just like probably any sport, but I think, you know, the fencing, it's definitely up there in terms of how important mental aspect is for the sport. I'm trying to teach my kids a lot more about, you know, mentally how to face adversity, you know, mentally how to prepare for a tournament, how to prepare fear. You know, I get my kids telling me like, hey, dad, is it normal that I'm kind of scared going into this particular bout? And I tell them I get scared every time, you know, not even just like tournaments, yeah. even practice. So it's totally normal, you know, how you deal with that, that comes with maturity and that comes with, you know, time and so on and so forth. But getting them exposed to those things early on, I think it's not only good for them as a fencer in terms of their fencing career, but also as a human, you know, in terms of how they're going to face life and, and face adversity. I mean, I tell my kids, I said, look, you're going to be losing more than you're going to win. And that's the reality of things, right? I mean, in business, mm-hmm. in, in life, in, in fencing, in the reality is that I don't care how great of a champion you are, you know, you will, I mean, statistically showing, shows that, you know, you're going to be losing more than you're winning. And how do you deal with that as a human, as an athlete, and as a person, I think says a lot about a person, how they're going to grow up. And, you know, I'm having the opportunity to actually use fencing to teach that kind of lesson to my kids. And, and that's extremely important to me. So it's, it's a very rewarding experience, Brian. And I look forward to many more years. But yeah, I was praying hard, man, you know, in terms <laughs> of making sure that, you know, please love this sport as much as I do. And fortunately, they both do. Well, it's interesting that you said that at the beginning, you know, you kind of had to give them that nudge because as a father myself, I've noticed that too, just getting my kids into anything, you know, there's going to be that time when they don't want to go. But as parents, I feel like we do have to give them that extra nudge until they get across that line where they're like, yeah, now I get it. Like you said, with your own son. Yeah. And, you know, one more thing to add to that, right? What I love about our fencing community is the friendship they build throughout their career mm-hmm. you know it's and again I, they don't have a career just yet but you know sometimes mm-hmm. i even have to hold myself back my wife is great at this you know she reminds me all the time and say like hey they're six or they're nine like you know sometimes they just want to hang out with the bodies at the club 
and maybe play a little video game. And that's totally okay. Because to me, you know, as long as they're building a solid community within the sport or around the sport and love being there, to me, that has value, right? So that's it's not huge, always yeah. fencing and practice and, and cardio and, and all of that. It's, hey, I want to go there, maybe just hang out with my friends. And to me, that's honestly a good carrot, you know, to kind of dangle in front of them. It's like, hey, Mm-hmm. Go to the club. You don't have to fence today. Maybe just go hang out with Brian and hang out. So, you know, there's a little tricks I'm picking up along the way as a parent, as a fencing parent, to not only encourage them and incentivize them to actually do well and fence and practice, but, you know, those little things is like, hey, you know, go hang out with your friends and that's okay. I think that's really smart. Another thing that you have to figure out as a fencing parent is that you're also a fencer yourself, as we've said. So how do you balance that? Because I imagine there's weekends where there's a tournament for you and a tournament for your sons and they're not at the same location or you can't make them both work. So how do you make that decision in your mind as someone who still wants to be a a competitive fencer himself? Yeah, that's a great question. It's tough. It's tough because, you know, obviously you're facing schedules and and I think for most part, you know, I think the USA fencing and the different tournament organizer has done a, a pretty decent job in terms of not coinciding and making sure mm-hmm. that, you know, veterans or open, it's scheduled the same day as a Y12 or a Y10 or Y8. But, you know, there has been a couple of times this year where I had to make that choice. The reality is that when it comes to that, you know, you prioritize your kids, right? Especially because sure. your kids are young. They need that strip support. They need that strip coaching to kind of point out different things. So I think as the kids get older in terms of getting into the Y12, Y14, Canada and junior tournaments, I think those mm-hmm. skaters probably will coincide a little closer to a bed or a senior open or senior tournament. So I'll cross that bridge once we get there. But reality is that, you know, as a fencing parent or coaching your kids, I probably prioritize them, you know, before myself, but it's a tough one. It's a tough one just because, you know, obviously season, it's the same season for everyone. And, you know, sure. you, you kind of want, want to do well, just as well as your kids. You know, another thing I want to kind of bring up, which might bring value to the listeners and touch on the point you just mentioned before, you know, it's kind of sometimes tough being a fencing parent that's who is a fencer like myself. You know, I sometimes project my style into my kids, right? Yes, there's definitely benefits as a parent, you know, and coaching your kids because you're kind of teaching your kids all the mistakes you are making or have made in the past, right? You kind of want to mm. give them, you know, those benefits, right, that you kind of went through and so on and so forth. So that's a good side of thing. But sometimes you're also projecting a little bit on them in terms of your own style, which might or might not fit with their own, right? So sometimes I take a step back and saying hey, you might be more aggressive fencer or less aggressive fencer, whatever you are, but that might not be the style of your kid, right? So how do you actually drive that balance and making sure that you're teaching them something, but at the same time, making sure that they are discovering themselves and giving them the time to actually self-discover? It's important. It's a fun balance that I think, you know, all of us, you know, the fencing parents need to at least keep that in mind and knowledge that's there instead of, always projecting what you think they should do, you know, based on your own style or your own experience. I think that's really fascinating. And just not thinking of them as a clone of you, right, in in every way that they're going to fence the exact same way that you do. How does that come in when you're strip coaching where you've just got a minute to deliver a message and, you know, kind of the pressure's on and you're noticing something as their dad and their coach that you want to point out? 
Yeah, that's a, another fantastic question because my two kids actually are very different people. You know, my oldest son wants the intensity of the strip coaching. So every single touch that he loses, he turns around, looks at me, and looks for feedback immediately. And if I'm not there mm. yelling loud and, and giving the feedback immediately, he actually gets frustrated, right? It's like, why aren't you telling me what I need to do better? You know, what am I doing wrong? And he wants that instant feedback. My little one actually don't want to hear anything. You know, and again, he's young. Maybe he's going to change over time. But, you know, I think he's going in there with a playbook. You know, again, he's only six. So I think Y8, it's a little different than, you know, Y10 or Y12. And, but he's more a kind of going there with a playbook and try one thing. didn't work. Maybe try something else. And it's not really looking for that feedback. Matter of fact, gets even more frustrated and more stressed if I'm giving them kind of the feedback on the strip immediately. So as a coach and father, right, you know, it's important to actually adopt ourselves or myself, you know, as a chameleon to know, hey, depending on the style of your child, how to actually adopt your feedback style accordingly, just because they're not made the same, right? So yeah. especially to your point, you only have, you know, that three minute, right, per bow that very little time to actually give the feedback. You still want them to do well, but at the same time, not be disruptive. So I think it comes down to honestly self-discovery as a parent. You know, it's that really mm-hmm. understanding who you are, really understanding your child in terms of the style that works for them, and then adopt it for them. Yeah, you might see something and be like, oh, if I just said this one thing, it's going to change the bout. But in reality, you think about how the fencer might receive that information and it might actually have the opposite effect, right? It's just about knowing yourself and that fencer in in the moment. I think that's really well said. 100%, 100%. You know, one thing I actually think is very good and brought tons of benefit for us as kind of a tip is that I actually brought for the first time my older son to help me strip coach my younger son during one of the Mm. bouts. And, you know, he's, you know, after the bouts, he comes to me and says, hey, daddy, I didn't know how much you can actually see as a strip coach that you can't really see as a fencer, right? Because, you know, you Interesting. can different angles. And having had that experience himself, having seen that, he now understands why I'm saying things to him the way I say it and when I say them, right? So I think they get a better appreciation to, you know, when I do things or why I do things after going through the strip coaching experience themselves, which, you know, it's a quite good of an experience if, you know, again, for the fancy parents out there who's listening to this, it actually it's a great way to bring your kid into the strip coaching if you have that opportunity. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And yeah, you've almost got those, you know, when you're on the strip in the mask, you've almost got those blinders on that. There's going to be stuff that you're, of course, not going to be able to see. You don't have a mirror there to see yourself and you don't always see what the opponent might be giving you either. So that's, I think that's really well said. 100%. No, it definitely brings a different perspective. And then finally, before we wrap this up, there's a whole other element to kind of your fencing game, you might say, that comes up in that Wall Street Journal article, which I know I keep referencing it, but I thought it was really, really cool to see and to see fencing spotlighted in such a big way. But it's the diet and it's what you eat, what how you fuel your body. So I'm very curious if you could share some tips about how you keep yourself in fencing shape 
by considering what you're eating every day? Yeah, another great question, Brian. You know, first of all, thanks for the kind words. You know, I was fortunate enough to be picked by, by Wall Street Journal, you know, and, and coming out with the story. My hope, honestly, the main hope there is to bring more spotlight to the sports and encourage more families and more fencers to actually test and try and, and join the sport. I just think it's such a fantastic sport that, you know, it just needs to get out there more, you know, as far as totally you know, influence more people or, or, I mean, imagine the day where instead of going and, and do a pickup basketball game, you know, let's do a pickup fencing bout, you know, I mean, imagine the day. Yeah, right? let's do uh, it. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, when it comes to diet, I mean, it's such an important part of the sport, just like any elite sport or any recreational sport, right? I think, you know, for me, it's a little bit of a self-discovery, obviously, and I was fortunate enough to have you know, a coach that can work with me and start exploring the different diets that I can test and try and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. you know, I think, you know, I started really kind of exploring diet when I started doing, you know, I wouldn't say body lifting, but during that 10 years that I took a pause from the sport, because I was traveling so much. And when you travel, as you know, probably Brian, it's so easy to really kind of eat bad. You know, you're... Sure, yeah constantly in airports your schedule is out of whack constantly because you one day you are in dubai the next day you're in hong kong the next day you are in sao paulo right so mm -hmm. if you're not careful your day schedule is out of whack you're eating you know whatever you can get a lot of times i believe i mean we all know that restaurant food is you know delicious but you know you really don't have any control in terms of what goes in there right in terms of the you know, saturated fat, sugar, and so on and so forth. So, you know, during that period, I really kind of started building a routine of dieting, not necessarily to play or, or so on and so forth, but really kind of keep up with the cardio. So mm. you know, being Chinese by ethnicity, you know, and, and being in the food industry growing up with my family, you know, my family owned a number of different restaurants back in Madrid, you know, I really kind of understood the importance of balance. And, you know, if you look mm. at Chinese especially balance is extremely important so you know in my meals you always going to find you know a carb a protein some bad form of vegetable and maybe some type of dairy you know that's something that we i try to incorporate as much as i can and the key there is really balance right is that you want to have a healthy balance of all those things that goes into your body of course if i am going to competition you know, I blow myself up a little bit more in terms of carb to make sure that I have enough fuel, right, the next day or the next two days to kind of maintain the rhythm, energy level, so I don't crash. But, you know, to me, I think as an athlete or as any professional, not paying attention to what you eat, it's, it's a huge mistake. So, you know, one of the things I, I think, you know, it's really well invested on, on, on my end, at least, you know, looking back in terms of things that done well is, to work with a nutritionist early on. And it doesn't have to be a long-term thing. I mean, you can just, you know, go to a nutritionist, you know, for an hour or two, do a consultation, and then, you know, get that feedback in terms of, hey, here's my lifestyle. Here's the type of sport that I do or don't do. Here's when I wake mm -hmm. up. Here's when I go to bed. You know, kind of describe your lifestyle and then have he or she to really come up with a plan to help you maintain that lifestyle and then tune it up to the highest performance. I think that's extremely, extremely helpful. And I know, you know, now my body is so sensitive that if I don't follow that diet on a daily basis, it complains. 
you know, if I mm. if I'm eating too much fat or if I'm eating too much sugar or if I'm not taking enough intake of carbs, I can see my body start reacting differently than normal. So I think it's extremely important that an athlete and as a person to actually have a consistent balanced diet in order to support that lifestyle. I think that's really smart. And then finally, how that might apply to your six and nine-year-olds, because obviously kids can be picky eaters, but they are athletes as well. And they're trying to perform at their best on some of those fencing days, which can be super long and physically and emotionally draining. So how do you factor that in with your sons? Yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky because, as you know, kids are a lot more picky than adults when it comes to food. Fortunately, because we, my wife and I expose our kids to especially Asian cuisine or Chinese food in the very early days, I think, you know, getting that balance into their diet at the early on, it comes almost like default, right? It's not like, mm. would you like to eat pea greens or would you like to eat bok choy with your meal? There's no choice. It's look, you're getting right. chicken, you're getting white rice or you're getting bok choy and maybe a, a, some kind of soup and that's it. Or in the winter, right, we love winter melon or daikon with our soups. I kind of bring that balance very early on into their diet. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. And it took us a little bit of a try and error, to be honest with you, right? So it's not just like, hey, I love daikon. You will love daikon. Like, you can't force the kids. <laughs> you know? But, you know, right. taking them to dim sum, you know, taking them to different, exposing them to different cuisines at a very early age and allowing them to actually explore and determine what they like, what they don't. I think that's very important. You know, another thing I, I, I know we talked about kids training quite a bit, but one thing I do want to mention too is in addition to diet, injury and prevention of injury, it's also super important when it comes to kids. So just the same thing I do myself in terms of strength and conditioning, which a lot of it involves mm-hmm. stretching and agility training or, you know, form of movement into my training. I try to incorporate that as much as I can to my kids as well. You know, it's funny because, you know, my oldest son also does soccer, not as competitively as fencing, but, you know, it's important for me, to, for him to do soccer and, and he does a few other things. You know, we're starting all this and the ankle and start complaining quite a bit, right? And as you know, probably, you know, you know, many athletes do, once you have a little bit of, you know, either injury or a little bit of ear in certain part of your joints and muscles, most likely those injuries will come back if you don't take care mm-hmm. of it. So, you know, that's one thing I can't emphasize enough and I share with as many parents as I can. It's listen to your kid's body so that, you know, if there are certain parts that are complaining and needs to be tuned up, make sure that you're actually working on those in terms of stretching or strength conditioning to make sure that they are airtight just because those injuries will come back if it has been, if there was an injury in the past. That's great. And I think we'll leave it at that. This has been a really great conversation, a lot of fun, and you've had some great insight to share. So Aaron Luo, thanks for joining us on the podcast and best of luck to you and your kids this season. Great. Thank you very much, Brian. It was great to share our story with the hunting community and looking forward to seeing you in the next. Thanks for listening to First to 15, the official podcast of USA Fencing. We'll be back with our next conversation in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, you can stay up to date on all the latest fencing news by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you like this podcast, please help us grow and reach more people by leaving us a rating or review. Until next time, I'm Brian Wendell, and I hope to see you real soon out on the strip. Bye.